0: Holiday House Books for Young Readers, Peachtree Publishing Company, and Pixel Inc. present Suzanne Slade and Thomas Gonzalez, author and illustrator of Behold the Octopus, in conversation with Peachtree Vice President and Associate Publisher, Kathy Landwehr.
1: Hi, I'm Kathy Landwehr, Vice President and Associate Publisher at Peachtree Publishing Company, Inc. The octopus is one of the most fascinating and mysterious creatures on Earth. Because this remarkable animal hides beneath the seas and is so vastly different from humans, many of us do not realize how amazing and talented the octopus is. So today, for the guest book, creators Suzanne Slade and Thomas Gonzalez are joining me to discuss these alien-like animals and their new picture book, Behold the Octopus. Suzanne Slade is a cyber honor-winning author who has written over 150 children's books An engineer by degree, she is acclaimed for her expertise in STEAM topics, as well as explorations of inspiring figures in history. Thomas Gonzalez is a New York Times bestselling illustrator, designer, and portrait artist. In addition to working at the Coca-Cola Company and holding several creative positions with global brands, he has also illustrated many books for children. Tom and Suzanne's previous collaboration, Countdown, 2,979 Days to the Moon, earned three starred reviews and multiple awards, including the National Science Teachers Association's Outstanding Science Trade Book for Students K-12 and the Parents' Choice Gold Award from the Parents' Choice Foundation, just to name a couple. Suzanne and Tom's newest collaboration, Behold the Octopus, plunges readers into an undersea exploration of the mysterious accomplished octopus and its astonishing abilities through lyrical text and gorgeous illustrations. In a starred review, the Bulletin of the Center for Children's Books called it an absolute treat of a nonfiction picture book. Hi, Suzanne and Tom. Welcome to the guest book. Hi, Kathy.
0: Hello, Kathy. How you doing?
1: All right. Thanks. So most of the time, the idea for a picture book starts with the author. But this one came about in a somewhat unusual, different way. Maybe, Tom, since this idea, I think, originated with you, we can explore how this system worked backwards this time.
0: So when I was working with Usain Slade doing Countdown, uh, I was exposed to a lot of uh, outer space videos, clips, and so forth. Most most times, because of these books that I've been working on require so much um, uh, research, I just sit there and watch videos all day long, which is uh, sometimes are great, sometimes are boring. And in the mix of that, there was a lot about space travel, aliens, and so forth, obviously, with Apollo. Uh, as I was wrapping up the book, I started thinking about that or or all the information that was like what I I call throwaway information, things that are not related to the Project Countdown. And one of those things were about, it's about extraterrestrial life. And it occurred to me, and I was watching uh, an octopus documentary. It occurred to me that these creatures are pretty clever and they're really alien-like. And so I had this idea called Earthly, which is basically combining the word Earth with alien. And so I started Thinking, how can I do this as an, as an abstract book without copy, and it, it just wouldn't work because you need to see, you need to be educated as to what you're looking at. And so I sent Suzanne, since we've been working together just for, for you know for a while, Countdown, that will be an easy person to talk to, and I enjoy working with her so much that I thought, well, what about this? And that's how that kind of started. And I think uh, she got a little excited about it because there was some possibility there. And I always believe big time that if you visually present an idea sometimes, that it starts getting some traction. So that's really where that came from.
1: And so, Suzanne, you heard from Tom with this idea of octopuses as the the aliens on Earth. Uh, And presumably you thought that was an intriguing idea. I'm curious about how you ended up selecting the particular octopuses that are featured in this book.
2: Well, yes, I was really enthused about the idea when Tom first shared it with me. Um, it was early in 2018. And unfortunately, I had a lot of other projects on my plate. And so Tom would call every month or so and say, Suzanne, <laughs> what about the octopus? And I would say, Tom, I'm busy. I get, and, you know, as an author, I, I get a fair number of friends and family sharing ideas. You should write a book about this. And I got to say, not many of them are very good. (laughs) But when I heard octopus, I was like, oh, yes. And um, but I knew I needed time to do the research first. So to your question, Kathy, once I finally made time, which was, I think, uh, around the summertime, I, I think I was saying no to Tom for a good six, eight months, um, I started researching them and boy, I had no idea there were 300, about 300 kinds of octopus. So right, there's a lot of amazing animals. So as I was looking, I was really looking for ones that were unique and different. Some like the common octopus, which is what we start the book off with. The one that's most commonly studied. Let's start with the common one. And then we just moved into... A variety. We ended up with eleven because just of the structure of a picture book, we could do eleven spreads. We squeaked two more in the back matter, and I just was looking for a nice variety visually and with their different abilities. Like one of them that can is called the glowing sucker octopus that has little glowing lights on the bottoms of its legs uh, to to see and to attract its prey. So I was really looking for the fun and the wow. And boy, we got a lot of wow in these
1: animals. You absolutely have a lot of wow. And I think one of the things that can be so challenging about exploring nonfiction in a picture book is figuring out how you boil it down to the basics. You have limited space, limited real estate to get certain concepts aside and and think that in this book, you focus on sort of the, abilities or maybe even the superpowers of different species, but there's also a great visual range in these creatures uh, that I think since they are, we think of them down, you know, down in the ocean and sort of these blobs floating about with a bunch of arms, but you and Tom, I think must've had to think about the range of abilities, but also the visual ranges. And Tom, I'm curious with the 11 octopuses featured how you differentiated them, how you um, conveyed their abilities and their distinct qualities.
0: I actually watch uh, videos on YouTube, for example, or National Geographic. I just watch their behavior because it kind of makes, it has like an imprint of what they do, uh, which helps me later on select the reference, how to make it unique, how to create reference, how to invent some things. There's a lot of... um, there's a lot of angles that I couldn't really catch anywhere. So you have to really sit there and draw. And, and then once you start drawing those angles, you want to make them realistic. So you have to start worrying about the lighting, the shading, where the, everything's coming from. Uh, I'm pretty big on that whole idea of contrast. So where's the sun or the light source coming from? Because without light, you don't see anything. So all my illustrations, uh, I try to figure out how the light place on that. Now, sometimes it's very, I'm very successful at it. Sometimes not so much. So and, and you know, I do sketches pretty tight. And the reason is because I want to make sure that there's no, I don't know how other illustrators work, but usually when I do the sketch and all that, I try to make it as tight as possible. It's very time consuming, but it saves a lot of time at the end because the colors, uh, when, when I get to the color stage, that is actually the easiest part of the project. I mean, I'm done. As far as I'm concerned, you're an autopilot. You just do it. Uh, It's where do you set it up? Um, So I think trying to answer your question, I would put like a storyboard, a wall, and try to make sure there's not a repetition um, or or a likeness from one page to the other. If I do like one angle of, of one page, I try to make sure that it's not repeated at least three or four layouts later. Uh, sometimes it's not easy to do that because just because of the shape of the animal. Um, but I don't know if that answers your question. It's just basically just watching film, doing sketches, very rough sketches. It's almost like those figure stick sketches design the the, the mass on that page, not any detail. And then from there, I build start building up the uh, what that image may look like.
1: Well, and so Tom watches lots of videos, Suzanne, and I know you use a variety of research approaches, including, I think, consulting with experts in the subject. So what was your part of the research like for this?
2: Well, I surely enjoy doing the videos like Tom does. That's my fun research. That's if I'm being indulgent and I allow myself to do that for a while. But as the nonfiction writer, then I need to focus on primary resources. So I end up reading a lot of boring technical type papers in journals. I read quite a few out of Scientific American for this. And yeah, working with experts is fun. And for this one, I reached out to Dr. Janet Voight, who works at the Field Museum here in Chicago, where I am. And she'd also had written a book about octopus. So she was happy to jump on and look over the little details, which, um, I might not pick up as someone who doesn't have a, a PhD in animals or octopus. So I always, I always want that that expert's eye, and they find the most amazing little tiny things. For example, one of the octopus, its scientific name, the last one in the book is the granuladone pacifica, but in all of the books, the last name was Boreal pacifica. But she, having uh, worked and written papers on the octopus, said that name, that species name had actually changed. And I would never know that having not spoken with an expert who was in the field. And I think she actually initiated the name change. So there we were able to really have our book be as correct as possible.
1: So up to the minute octopus facts in this book. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of facts, I'm curious, what's your favorite octopus? What detail did you come across that made one of them be the most interesting or exciting or fun? Okay, that's a tough one. Okay, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give more than one.
2: There's the blanket octopus, the female that when she sees a, a predator coming, she will unfurl this webbing that looks like a gorgeous cape. You talk about super, superpowers. She has like this rainbowish cake, which is gorgeous. And also the glowing one we were
1: speaking about that had the lights. But honestly, I could pick many more. They're amazing. How about you, Tom? Did you end up with a favorite octopus?
0: Well, the one that comes to mind, obviously, is the gliding octopus, you know, the the blanket octopus, because I had never seen that before. And... I just thought it was so bizarre how that evolved to do that with all the other things that all the octopuses can do. This one, for some reason, genetically, DNA just changed to something very odd. And, and you know, and again, I find that in like, it's almost like an alien. It's almost like that thing could fly, it, you know, if, it's, if it caught the right wind. The other one um, that I I forget the name of the other one. the the one that mimics, which is called a mimic octopus. I guess that's the name. Yeah. And I just think it's very interesting because that you have to be very observant of not only behavior and movement to mimic, you know, it's just to mimic another creature. And the way this octopus does it, it's got to be very perceptive of a lot of things. Um, so, I, I find it kind of cool. And I watch videos on them when they, they look like snakes at one point. Sometimes they look like a bunch of snakes, and then it just looks like an octopus. And generally speaking, all of them have the ability to change color, which I think I find that amazing. Uh, you know, you, you, you see, I, I watched a video clip of one just gliding across a coral reef, and it changed every color you can possibly imagine on that coral reef. And I just don't know how they do it so quickly. I just don't understand how the system can detect color variations. I just don't understand that. To me, to me, that's sort of science fiction, which is really why I originally thought about the idea at the very beginning.
1: It's true. I was really, you know, in working on your book, I was really struck by the range and complexity of the abilities, you know, the octopuses that can glow, as you say, change color, Tom, change their shapes. The one there is one that can walk on land uh they use tools as I recall um Suzanne uh, is it the coconut octopus that you yeah. wrote about that is the one that can um use carry coconuts as a possible weapon at times yeah they for protection shells and co- yeah they they build their
2: own dens they build dens and then make a door on it to close their they're solitary they like to live alone so they put a door on, on their own
1: that was actually my favorite the, the octopus that i don't not only builds a, a den but builds a door and closes it that's my octopus <laughs> were there any that you you know had to you w- hoped to include but had to leave out is there an octopus that didn't make the book that you wish you could still include
2: you know it's been Five years now since I did my research.
1: And there are 300 octopuses. This just shows
2: the life cycle of a book, right? There's the idea phase, which which happened uh, back about five years ago. And then I did research, wrote it. Then we were my agent was sending it out. So it was two years until it was acquired, right? So there's two years. And now we're another three years here to where the book came out. So I would like to say my memory is that good that I could remember more of the other ones. But I will say one we haven't talked about is the blue ring. It is just gorgeous. It is a very brightly colored octopus with these bright little tiny blue rings. And its body is small. It's the size of a golf ball. But it has venom strong enough to kill a human, that large of an animal. It's it's small but mighty, but gorgeous. So you would want to go up to it. If I were scuba diving, I would want to go up to the blue ring. Not a good idea, though. (laughs)
1: All right, well we will stay away from the blue ring octopus. Thank you for warning all of us about that. The layout of this book is really intriguing, I think. You as you you had to focus on 11 octopuses. You had to choose essentially one word to describe most of them. You know, sidebar copy tells us a bit more about them, and then you had to fashion that copy into verse into something that reads aloud so lyrically and beautifully. And I'm curious how you, in some ways, I guess I'm curious, which comes first? Did you have octopuses you wanted to include and you identified words and then organized octopuses accordingly? Or did you start with words and look for octopuses that would would be a good feature for that word?
2: Well, first I researched the animals that's where I always start. And I'm like, what am I super excited about? What did I go? Oh, whoa. What did I gap? You know, where, cause I know readers young and old are going to, are going to want to know about those two. So I had my little, you know, kind of like I'm a sports team. I had my top, my top list, right. And then who's going to make the final cut. Well, then I started thinking, and yes, I ended up on one word, but I didn't initially. Right. This is that process of how do I share whatever topic it is in this? It is amazing. Octopus. What vehicle? What What? how am I going to share this? And so at first I had a, I'm looking at some older drafts. I had two words. I had stealthy hunter, fierce defender, expert glider. That's nice. That's good. But it just wasn't there for me. It didn't, it didn't have, like you have that lyrical read aloud. And so then eventually I got down to the one words and then I was looking for rhyming and how could I fashion that. It's just a process. I don't know where I'm going, but I keep going until I'm like, oh, that's it. And uh, that's how I got there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I think one of the strengths of the book, apart from it being you know, gorgeous and fascinating, is that it it works for a wide variety, a wide age range of readers, a wide variety of readers. Those who just wanna, uh, who are drawn to the language and to the art, those who are interested in the science behind it. Uh, we have sidebars on the pa- main pages of the books. Each spread that be- features a single octopus. So then there's more information about that octopus and its ability and there's then additional information in the back matter and how how did you decide who was on first what information went where I know you had to leave room for Tom's art as well so that it was a real um, process of pruning and strengthening and finding the perfect words how'd you do that
2: well again it's just trial and error but um, I you know I've done a lot of technical, highly technical books, one with Tom, a Countdown, because I'm, I'm a real space nut. I love space. But with Octopus, I thought, I want this to be really accessible to all ages. We're talking preschool and up, and, that, and that's a big range to cover. And so once I started honing in on this one-word idea, you know, luminous, adventurous, you know, these words, I thought, then it is readable. It is Opens it up for all ages, and Tom's glorious art just shows so many more details. But then we've got that lovely sidebar that for older readers, that's the next level. So it kind of works, on in my mind, on two levels. The main text, anybody can read it. The sidebars are for those older readers who want to know more. So I like that that makes it a very uh, adaptable type book. Like the
1: octopus, Period. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And perhaps we can say the book also has superpowers. Yeah. And, you know, Tom, I'm curious, again, since this idea began with you, I know why you were fascinated by octopuses. What made you think this was a book, that this information needed to be a book, that this was a book for children?
0: Well, for the same reason that, uh, for example, for the same reason that I never saw, I never seen a blanket octopus, <laughs> and so, and I see a lot of stuff. So I would imagine that if I never saw that, I, a lot of people didn't see, for example, the blue ring octopus, uh, which, by the way, I've seen one in real life up in uh Cayman Islands, and no, in the Well, somebody picked it up, and they were like, "Somebody came and you got to get real lucky, <laughs> 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 like over there, not here." So, so. You know, if, if I haven't seen some of these, um, you know, I'm sure some kids would not have seen most of them. Uh, everybody thinks of an octopus as the red octopus or they see logos, but they really never see one flying around. I mean, flying around, but, you know, swimming around. Um, and and for, I'll give an example. You were talking earlier about what octopus you left out. One of the ones that I wanted to do, uh, there's, a clear, there's a clear octopus that is clear. It's just see-through. And I love to to be able to draw water in glass. And I thought it would be really cool to do something that looks like water inside water. Uh, But that's an example of one that I never knew existed until I started doing some research. I I ran into that octopus a lot later after we were pretty much done. Uh, So that's basically the reason that you want to show unusual creatures. You know, there's a lot of things that we don't know about. Now, for example, you can do a book about lions or cats. Most people seen cats. they're not going to be that interesting. I just like to see weird stuff and for example there's uh when I was doing research for 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 the octopus and the other book we're doing right now currently, I saw a lot of ants that I had never seen before so there's a lot of stuff out there that's very rare very you know there's a lot of animals that are becoming extinct that you don't see them as much, and so that that's Something that when I was a little kid, my dad gave me a book on um, a book about biology, just, you know, nature. And he just told me, he said, just look at it. And that's said, you don't have to do anything with it. Here's a book. And just by looking, you you understand there's a lot of things out there that you don't know. So these books really teach you about what you don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense
1: makes perfect sense. I mean, I certainly felt one of the things that I thought was so fascinating in the back matter, Suzanne, you mentioned that we're still discovering octopus species. And most recently, it turns out there was a fairly adorable one discovered in the last few years. Is it the Dumbo octopus? Yeah, I think it's Emperor Dumbo. And Emperor it's- Dumbo, which is kind of sounds like an insult, but this is an adorable tiny octopus that does appear to have Dumbo ears Uh, So there is always more to learn in this world, I guess, particularly uh, within the ocean where we don't readily go. You mentioned, Tom, that you and Suzanne are working on another project. um, And maybe, Suzanne, you want to tell us a little bit about it? It is, behold, the
2: hummingbird. Because what can you think of a more beautiful creature flitting around our skies? And if you're lucky enough to catch a glimpse. You know how they're they're not always easy to see. And yes, we are Tom just as you know Kathy sent us some I can't even describe incredibly. I think my in my email to you I think I said wowser. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so beautiful. They they, you know, Thanks. their nicknames are flying jewels and they really do look like jewels. And as I was digging in on the research I was learning about why their feathers are iridescent, they actually sparkle, and how they trap tiny microscopic bits of air that reflects the light that makes the feathers iridescent. So that's just a little bit about the amazing next book, Yes, Behold the Hummingbird.
1: Well, and you know the common theme between these two books, apart from the two of you and your fabulous work, I think is the assumptions or beliefs we have about various species. You know, we don't tend to know much about octopuses or understand the truly remarkable range of their abilities. And I think sort of the flip side, hummingbirds are tiny and pretty, and we think they're cute, but I've been really struck by, um, they are tough little guys. Um, They are always moving. They're pretty fierce and territorial, They eat an enormous amount, and they have some superpowers as well. Um, From what I remember, you have them, they can fly almost up and down like elevators. They can hover like helicopters. Some of them can go backwards. Um, So I guess, are you always looking for the stories that will tell us, will have us question our assumptions about other species, other creatures, and maybe other people and stories out there. Is that something that you're looking for?
2: Yeah, I just think in general, if I were to say in the broadest terms of one, when I want to write a book about something, it's some something, someone, some event that amazes me, astounds me, and above all is inspiring. You know, it's something that can really change the way you view the world, how you, how you operate in the world, just these inspiring and, and yes, things we don't know about that we, we think we know about this person or this event or this animal, but there is so, so much more that I just love. I get excited. So I want to share it. And I, I assume readers would, hopefully readers get excited learning those things too.
1: I think it does seem to be uh, both the work, both of you do together and working with other creators is always introducing us to new information or new approaches, new angles on subjects. Uh, I have to imagine that must be very satisfying and always exciting. Um, Tom, is there something with the hummingbirds that really drew you to the subject? I'm sure they're beauty, for one thing, as an artist.
0: Well, I've seen them where I live. Every once in a while you see a few. Um, but one of the things that caught my attention was the uh, the bee hummingbird, and I'm just trying to figure out how they can something can be created so complicated yet so small. Um, I didn't realize there were fears. Um, you know, when when you when when you work with the octopus book and then you work with the hummingbird book, you start thinking about the following: that the most interesting things about life are in the peripheral, because you just see things. But if you really, it's almost like you're in a room and you see something in the corner. You know, a ghost, whatever it is, but there's there's always a peripheral. There's always something that you need to tune in. Um, it's really, I, I you know, as you grow older, you you realize that life is like a radio. You only hear the station that you're tuned into, but if you turn that dial, you'll pick something else. And I think that that's what I like about discovering this kind this kind of things. You know, I'm always I'm always calling Suzanne or contacting. Hey, I got this idea. And it's really not the idea itself. It's just the possibility of what that could be. And so I'm not a writer. Unfortunately, I wish I was because I love to think of ideas. I just don't know how to write it, but I can show you what they look like. And that's really that's really talking about that peripheral. What does it look like? You almost see it, but it's on the side. You can, and the, the more you turn your head, you can't see it because it's it always existed on the peripheral. But at some point, you need to draw that out. And so that's really how I approach things, you know. So anyway, I don't know if that answers the question.
1: Absolutely. And thank you to both of you to for drawing us, our eyes to the peripheral and illuminating these subjects and creatures that we don't know terribly well. Um, but now we know more about, thanks to your wonderful work. Uh, and you know, as we know, this podcast is called The Guest Book. So I'm going to ask you to each, how would you sign The Guest Book? Suzanne, can you start? Well, in
2: thinking about Behold the Octopus or Behold the Hummingbird, because they are amazing creatures, I want to sign this book, Behold the Reader. Because readers are amazing people, right? They're exploring, they're learning, they're discovering, they're digging. So I say, Behold the Reader.
1: Love it. How about you, Tom? How would you like to sign the guest book?
0: Well, since he went first and probably got some of that, uh, I would, I'll, I'm would. i stuck with the following, Octopus. <laughs> Just, <laughs> and I told Suzanne the other day, you know, that's like, that's an idea for another book altogether. This art you know, this artistic octopus comes down to earth and colors the world and disappears. Well, so we'll be like on a- the
1: lookout for the we've already talked about the um earthlian and now the arctopus. So um, are you right.
2: accepting manuscripts from all writers? Could they send <laughs> their queries to you on their with the, their manuscript for Arctopus? <laughs>
1: we'll start a a contest for the story that goes with the title "Arctopus." there you
0: go i can say something this afternoon
1: (laughs) (laughs) well thanks so much you two i really appreciate it thanks
2: kathy
0: all right guys thanks so much